Well, good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. I uh, apologize for running a little late this morning. Today is September the 18th, and we are continuing to work our way through the book of Acts. Uh, yesterday, uh, we were looking at, we found Paul in Ephesus, and um, I don't know how I got off on it, but uh, I can't exactly remember, but we were talking about how Acts is so important to um, translate or interpret correctly if it is to be understood, and um, I actually felt compelled to um, put up a few links uh, on my... Uh, let me see if I can get that over here. Let's see, I'll show this to you. Here we go. I actually, on my Facebook page, I put up um, a link here after I finished the study um, because I got into whether or not we're living under the new covenant. So I went and put this up. Um, are we living under the new covenant? So I, I wanted to share that with you so that you can do some further study. Uh, and then I, I guess it was Mac who asked the question uh, about that. So I put up another study um, called The Mediator of the New Testament. So check those out. Uh, they'll help you in your study. That's why I put them there. Um, and then we were talking about what coulda, woulda, shoulda been but what didn't happen. Uh, I have two charts that I'll share with you. Uh, I know, you know, Scott, you've been with me from the beginning. Uh, some are just jumping on and um, catching up. Uh, but this right here is what should have happened. Um, you know, in regards to the nation of Israel, um, you know, the cross, the ascension, the offering of the kingdom through Peter. And of course, there should have been an accepting of that, which would have led into Daniel's 70th week, which would have culminated with the second coming, which would have took us into the thousand-year reign of Christ uh, and into eternity. That's what should have happened. Um, that's what Christ came to offer. Uh, that was offered at Pentecost, but this is what happened instead. Um, the, the offer of the kingdom was rejected, and the body of Christ was born. Paul was raised up uh, and brought the gospel of grace, but one day that will end, and with the rapture of the church, and then Daniel's 70th week will begin. So, this is what should have happened but this is what ended up happening. So uh, we talked about that yesterday. So uh, I put those links up and I'll put these graphs up for you guys uh, to take a peek at in your own time. Okay. Um, we ended up, let's see, we're in chapter number 19. And um, Paul is in Ephesus. Um, and we get down to, you know, this is where Paul asked the disciples of John, you know, who you baptized to, and they said, you know, John's baptism of repentance. He then baptized them, prayed on them that they might receive 
the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then we get down into verse number 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. And again, we see these, uh, these miracles, these sign gifts that are following after Paul, which leads me further to believe that Paul is ministering to Jews here because the Jews require a sign uh, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he touched um, that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. That doesn't sound familiar. Um, went out from them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and the priest and the chief of the priests, which did so. So now we're introduced to some Jews that apparently specialized in exorcisms. And when they did it, they had taken up the habit of doing it by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now these were seven sons of a, a chief of the priests named Sceva, uh, there in Ephesus. So this would have made him a member of the leadership there, the Sanhedrin there. Um, we're not, we don't, we're not told a lot about these guys, but uh, one uh, Bible teacher that I read says they were not evil men. They were just ignorant of what they were getting themselves involved in. Uh, their father was a chief priest and they were all wanting to serve the Lord with what knowledge they had. Uh, I think we can all relate to that. <laughs> um, I, I say all the time, if you'd asked me that question, you know, five years ago, I would have had the answer. Uh, the more I know, the more, the more I grow in my walk with the Lord, the more I realize I don't know. Uh, and matter of fact, there's things that I thought I knew that I've found out that I don't know. Um, I mean, that's just all a part of growing. Um, if you're not willing to question the assumptions, uh, you're not going to grow in your walk in any field. <laughs> um, so, you know, they were serving the Lord with what knowledge they had. They no doubt had heard that Paul was casting out demons in the name of Jesus uh, and perhaps thought it may work for them being fellow Jews. But they did not have the relationship with God that Paul had. Uh, they did not know that being a Jew like Paul was not enough. You had to know the Jesus that Paul preached before you could call upon his name. So one, one of the Bible teachers puts it that way. And then notice in verse number 15, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Notice that the evil spirit said that he knew Jesus, he knew Paul, but he didn't know them. I think that would have been a bit scary at that moment. That word gnosko, Paul I know, a Jesus I know, uh, that's that intimate experiential knowledge. In other words, I know these guys, but I don't have any intimate experiential knowledge with you. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped, leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that didn't end well at all. Uh, <laughs> um, if you study um, this, you find that these demons did tend to have supernatural uh, power. Um, in Mark chapter 19, 
And when he came when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them, and straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed. Um, let's see, a faithless child. There we go. Uh, in verse nineteen, he answered them and said, "Oh, faithless general generation, how." Um, well, let's back up. I, I knew what I was saying when I wrote my notes. Believe it or not, verse sixteen. And he asked the scribes, "What question you with them? What question you with them?" And one of the multitude answered, "said Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and he gnasheth with his teeth, and he pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not." In the answer, and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And they brought him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him and fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And his father, um, he asked his father, How long has it been since this came into him? And he said, As of, of a child. And he, he has oftentimes cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on him. So, you know, we see that these demonic possessions, these demons do have this supernatural power, or at least they're very strong. Uh, in Mark 5, 1, and they came over to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, uh, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, uh, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. So we do see that unusual strength accompanied these uh, demonic possessions. Um, there's an interesting there where it says wounded, uh, that word I found interesting. Uh, wounded is interesting in that it means traumatized. <laughs> I can only imagine that they were traumatized. Uh, in verse number 16, you see it says they were wounded, traumatizo. Uh, so they were traumatized as a result of this. Um, as you know, I like to study Les Feldick, and he points out that at this point, that Paul never addressed the issue of demonic possession uh, in his Pauline epistles, uh, Romans through Philemon. Uh, and in his opinion, therefore, salvation is the only answer. Uh, something to think about. I mean, all exorcisms occurred during the kingdom offer. Uh, so you don't see that kind of demonic activity after the kingdom offer or after the offer was retracted, or at least Paul never deals with it. So again, if, you know, I find that, you know, uh, when you get into groups that are just obsessed with this subject, they're usually out of balance. Uh, they're definitely not right dividing by any shape or form. So it calls it into question. And if you look at how Jesus dealt with these things, if you look at how Paul dealt with these things, I mean, it was just spake, spake a word and the demon came out. I mean, today we have whole movies on how to cast out a demon, two and a half hours of, of holy water and, <laughs> and incantations and, you know, but that's not the way the Lord did it. Um, so I have no doubt that, you know, there, 
there still are these things going on. I've lived outside the United States. Heck, I've lived in South Texas long enough to know uh, this stuff is real. Um, but I agree with Les. I think salvation is the answer. Uh, salvation is what they need. Um, and then notice in verse 17, and this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. Um, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was, Lord Jesus was magnified. So, no doubt, I mean, this further drew attention to Paul's ministry. Uh, and, of course, that was what the, all the sign gifts were about anyway. Uh, the apostles would go perform a miracle, it would draw a crowd, and then they would preach the kingdom gospel to the people that gathered. And many believed. That believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. So the result was that many did believe, many did confess, and showed their deeds. I mean, there's no doubt that that's not grace language there at all. Um, that is uh, kingdom language there. And notice that it says that they showed their deeds. This literally means that they disclosed their deeds or openly confessed their deeds. Um, so when it says they showed their deeds there in verse number 18, um, you know, the NAS there says um, confessing and disclosing their practices. Um, NIV says there and openly confessed their evil, evil deeds. In other words, they they showed their deeds. <laughs> Uh, and then notice in verse number 19, and many of them uh, also, which used curious arts, brought their books together. And again, that might be what he's talking about there, showing their deeds. Um, many of them, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So many of those who believed and confessed was using what's called curious arts. Um, in the context, the word is referring to magic and all the accoutrements associated with magic. Um, I, I started going down a, a study about the city of Ephesus, and if you just type that in any search engine or any study, you'll find that Ephesus was ate up with magic and sorcery. Uh, history paints a picture of Ephesus as full of paganism and mysticism. Um, oh, I, one quote said, magic scrolls, rings, amulets, bracelets, and necklaces thought to have powers were all common. In ancient Ephesus, the price of these magical documents and trinkets varied, but history tells us that there was a huge market for them in the commercial agora, which was a huge market. <clears throat> and altogether, they were worth about 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, you're talking about putting your money where your mouth is. Um, and of course, this was going to lead to problems, uh, as we will shortly see, uh, because as they begin to repent of these things, it's really starting to threaten the, the entire commercial engine of Ephesus and a riot is getting ready to explode here. 
And remember that these are kingdom believers, and the law prohibited any association with witchcraft. Of course, that hadn't changed. I mean, even under under grace, I mean, we're not to, it's idolatry to put faith in anything other than God. Uh, that's why I tell believers you need to stay away from um, astrology and things like that. It's idolatry. I mean, you're, you're placing your faith in something else other than God. And understand, you know, there's only two powers in this uni- universe, two supernatural powers. That's God and the devil. Uh, so if you're not trusting God, you're trusting the devil. Um, <clears throat> I put up a meme the other day. It said, um, you know, you either serve God or you serve the devil. And by the way, the fence belongs to the devil. Um, and there, you know, you either, you either, Jesus said you're either for me or you're against me, uh, one or the other. Well, I'm undecided. Well, you're on the fence and the fence belongs to the devil. Uh, notice verse number 22, and after these things were ended, uh, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he went into Macedonia, two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So now Paul feels led to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to Jerusalem and then find his way to Rome. Now, this would complete Paul's third missionary journey. Now, some people believe Paul had a fourth missionary journey, but, um, you know, that's a different study. Um, But this would definitely complete his third missionary journey. Uh, I believe that Paul felt that Rome is where he needed to go as the apostle to the Gentiles, since it was literally the golden apple of the Gentile world. Uh, So Paul wanted to make his way to Rome. Um, And that kind of put me on another note. Uh, I find it interesting that the devil wants everyone to believe that Peter founded the church in Rome, um, thus thoroughly conflating and mixing the kingdom with the grace gospels and diminishing the role of Paul. Um, There is, from Peter, uh, I mean, you can study church history. Uh, He is not the one uh, that founded uh, the the church in Rome. Uh, it was Paul that went there. Um, and again, you can study church history and see all that. But uh, I think the devil's in the details. Uh, Satan, for sure, has been trying to mix the two programs and to cause con- division and confusion uh, for quite some time over that. But make no mistake about it. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, not Peter. Um And when the Lord Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church and I'm giving you the keys. Whatever you bound will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. All of that was referring to the fact that Peter would be the one that would make the kingdom offer uh, to the Jews. And Peter was the one that made the kingdom offer to the Jews in Acts chapter number two at his first Pentecostal sermon, accompanied by signs and wonders and speaking in tongues. All of that was fulfillment. He said, this is that, this is what Joel 2.28 prophesied of. So Peter did exercise that authority. Peter did. He was the head of the church there in Jerusalem. Uh, he was not the head of the church in Rome. He was the head of the church in Jerusalem. 
and uh, he used those keys. So I think the devil's in the details. Uh, I think historically um, it feeds a narrative that Peter was the one that went to Rome, founded the church there when, when it was actually Paul. I would encourage you to study that a little further. Uh, notice at the end of verse number 22 that he sent to Timothy and Erastus ahead while he tarried <clears throat> in Ephesus. Now, the results of that <laughs> decision to tarry in Ephesus is, is going to be catastrophic here. Uh, notice verse 23, and, and, and the same time there arose no small spirit stir about that way. Um, that way, I believe that the way or that way is always a reference to the kingdom program. Uh, you remember in John 14, 6, Jesus saying to them, I am the way, the truth and the life. So it was referred to the followers of Jesus, those who placed their faith in him as their Messiah, um, <clears throat> were those of the way. They followed the way. Uh, the way that Jesus pointed in Acts 9, 2, and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that he might find any of this way. Uh, they were trying to root out Paul uh, before he became converted, uh, was trying to root out Jews that were following Jesus's teaching, Jews that had embraced the kingdom message that Jesus came preaching. Therefore, it has nothing to do with the Pauline gospel of grace. Um, and again, this is in Ephesus. Um, and then notice for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. Now, Diana, interesting, I started studying this, was the Greek version of the goddess Artemis. Um, she was mythologically, she was the daughter of Zeus. Uh, she was the twin sister of Apollo, who incidentally Apollos was probably named after. Um, and her one true love in life was Orion. Um, and she was worshipped. Um, historically, there's different versions. Some say that, you know, uh, there's just different versions of her and what she did. You just got to pick which one you want to read about. But she was worshipped as one of the primary goddesses of childbirth and midwifery. Her temple in Ephesus was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. And um, many, if you want to get a little deeper into it, see her as connected with or being Semiramis who um, um, was, uh, I guess, Semiramis was married to Tamaz. Uh, so if you want to get into uh, all of that, you can study it. But be it as it may, uh, Diana was the Greek goddess Artemis, the goddess of fertility, childbirth. Um, and then in verse 25, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, uh, know that by this craft we have our wealth. So, you know, when you start burning <laughs> all the things that you're worshiping um, and you start turning away from these idols, it became a threat um, to these craftsmen who made these images of Diana, 
Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So Paul was preaching against idolatry, and of course this affected their trade, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. So now he turns it to spiritual. Of course, his whole motivation was financial. Uh, it was all uh, his business. Uh, but now he turns the corner and makes it a spiritual issue. Uh, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all of Asia and the world worshipeth. Um, so again, of course, there's no doubt that Demetrius is first and foremost acting out of self-preservation. But who would really care about that? <laughs> so he makes it all about the great goddess Diana. Um, you know, the same tactic is used today in society. Make it about one thing while nothing could be further from the truth. Um, you know, make it spiritual when really your motivation is physical. Uh, we see that. Um, you know, we, we see that in all kinds of things. We see that in the political climate. <laughs> that we're in today. Make it about one thing when it really has nothing to do with that thing. It's totally about something else. Um, and when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. Um, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered into the, into, unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. So things are, are turning ugly. All of the people are running to the theater. They grabbed Gaius and Aristarchus, and Paul is wanting to run in behind them. Uh, but the sight, the disciples are saying, no, last thing you need to do is run inside this theater right now. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Um, Albert Barnes says that this, these chiefs here, they were persons who presided over sacred things and over the public games. It was their business to see that the proper services of religion were observed and that proper honor was rendered to the Roman emperor in the public festivals at the games. Uh, they were annually selected and their election was confirmed at Rome before it was valid Probably they were assembled on such an occasion as now, and during their their remaining, they there and during their time there, they had heard Paul preach and were friendly to his views and his doctrine. So, there's no indication from the text that they were believers, um, but I mean they obviously didn't want any harm to come to Paul. They respected him at least. Um, and some therefore cried one thing and some another for the assembly was confused and more part knew not wherefore they didn't even know why they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude. The Jews threw him forward and Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made a defense unto the, to the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, um, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So Alexander was, as he was, uh, who, he was prepared to speak on behalf of the Jews. Um, some associate him with Alexander the coppersmith uh, that Paul told Timothy about. 
uh, in, in 1 Timothy 1.20, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So uh, some people believe that he's this one and the same Alexander the coppersmith. Um, I, it would make sense that a Jew would be asked to defend this, uh, what was going on, because Paul's kingdom message was to and about them. So it would make sense that a Jew would be asked to give a defense of what was going on. However, it doesn't appear that he was allowed to speak. And even if he had, we have no idea what he was prepared to say. <laughs> we don't know if he was for or against Paul. Um, of course, if he is the same Alexander mentioned in 1 Timothy 1.20, he was obviously against Paul. Uh, so we're not sure who he was, but he began to speak and they, they shut him up. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what... Man is there that knoweth not how that the city is the, of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter. So the town clerk is the one that tends that brought peace here. Uh, and he, he appears to be just trying to calm the situation by saying, hey, everybody knows that Diana fell down from Jupiter. So he's saying you don't have anything to worry about uh, from these Jews course, time proved him wrong. <laughs> the word worshiper there literally means temple keeper uh, there in verse number 35, which I, I found interesting. He was, he was the one that took care of the temple. Um, he was the temple keeper for Diana. Um, David Gusick points out at this point that what was going on in Ephesus was a result of Paul's teaching, uh, that it did not please the devil at all, and it may have been um, why he spoke about spiritual warfare when he was writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 through 20, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Um, and of course, you know, obviously there's some spiritual warfare going on in Ephesus. When God is at work, the devil gets busy for sure. Uh, that's a true mark that God is working in your life is if the devil is busy <laughs> because most Christians, uh, I don't think the devil really cares uh, what they're doing, uh, because they're not doing anything that is a threat to him. Um, but when you get the ball and you begin to gain yardage, uh, the devil is going to get busy. I, I tell the young people, nobody attacks the water boy, unless you're watching that movie, um, because the water boy doesn't have the ball. You know, you're going to attack the one that is a threat to you. You're going to take out the one that is a threat. And the more of a threat you become to the devil, the more active he's going to get in your life. So that's all the time that we have today. Um, again, tomorrow is Saturday, so we won't be together. So I'll see you again Sunday morning, 930, Lord willing. Uh, God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day.